Amen. Well, it's been a real special morning, guys. Thank you for being with us. Um, I want to tell you, this week has been really incredible. There have been a number of things that have happened. My voice is a little bit, uh, you know, I'm just going to believe I'll have enough. I didn't speak much to Shirley yesterday because I didn't know what was happening to my wife. And uh, so I said, I've got to save my voice for tomorrow. And uh, so now I'm not going to save it. I'm going to let it rip. But anyway, a lot of things happened this week that were unexplainable except that you knew it was the hand of God. How many of you guys, you know, things happened? For example, we were, last weekend we were in Michigan for a wedding, part of Shirley's family. And uh, in this hotel, now we didn't choose the hotel. That was the hotel everybody was staying in. So we just went where they told us to go. And so the last morning, we're getting ready. It was the last morning, getting ready to check out. I go get coffee. They have a coffee room. Now, this hotel's in Rochester, Michigan. And I, I'm walking there to get coffee, and I look, and there's looks like Michael Powell from Moravian Falls sitting at this table. And I thought, first of all, I thought, no, this is a Michael Powell lookalike. There's no way possible he could be in Rochester, Michigan at this hotel at this time. And then I said, Michael? And it was. It was Michael Powell. And he told me. Now, he just happened to be at the right time in the right room at the right hotel in the right city in the right state at the right time. And anyway, he said Judy wanted him to sit on the couch looking toward the fireplace, which means I would have walked in at that moment not even knowing they were there. But he was standing. He was sitting right there. And I just, all of us were amazed. We were amazed. We thought, how could this be? Why are you even here? He was wondering why I was there. But anyway, it was, I just knew it was one of those divine moments. And um, God, listen, we're, we're living in that time. Yes. Things are going to start happening. And you're going to wonder how in the world did this happen? The Lord made it happen for his purpose. And uh, this is not, we're not just tiptoeing through the tulips in this hour. In fact, you better not be tiptoeing through the tulips. You got to be taking your ground, rising up, being, but trust that you're led by the Spirit. Those that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And um, we're going to believe God do some good things. I want you to go with me to Jude. That's where I'm going to start. And he's put something in my heart this morning. And um, I'm excited to be here. Anybody else excited just to be here? You know, you could be in the finest hospital in the land, but I'd rather be in the house of God with the people of God, especially in this hour. Now, the book of Jude, this will help us get to launch where we're going this morning. But, um, you know, just in the introduction of the book, in my Bible, I don't know what it says in your Bible, but it starts off, it says, fight, contend, do battle. And uh, it's in the context of the rising apostasy. And it's speaking about false teachers and when they emerge and how the truth of God will come under attack. And when that happens, it's time to fight for the faith. It's not time to shrink back and run for cover. But the only ones that will be able to stand and fight in these days that Jude is, is written about 
or those that are spiritually fit. They've spent time in the Word. They've spent time in His presence. Now, now so notice this in uh, verse 1. Jude's a bondservant of Jesus, a brother of James. To those who are called, say, I'm called. You know, you have a divine calling to be a son or a daughter of the living God. That's the highest. But we have individual callings, mandates. To those who are sanctified, say, I'm sanctified. It means set apart, but it also in this context means you're the beloved. Say, I'm the beloved. And those who are preserved in Jesus Christ, that means you're kept for such a time as this. If, if it had been the enemy, if he had gotten his way, he would have already have knocked you off before now. You know that. But God has preserved you. He's kept you for such a time as this. Now, let's go on and read. He says, mercy Peace and love me be multiplied. And how many of you know we need mercy? We need peace. And he said, I've given you peace. Not like the world, but I've given you peace. And love be multiplied. Say, I am loved. And then verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Now, that doesn't mean it's common or simple. It just means we're all together in this. We're all part of the family. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. That, you know what that means? It means you give people a license to sin. And we're going to talk about that even more. But they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for those that are gathered, Lord, those that are watching, or they will watch. Lord, we pray, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We thank you for that you've called us, you preserved us, you set us apart, and we're the beloved for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm very glad in this church we have uh, some mature saints. They're like the Bereans. You know, when you hear something from this pulpit, you don't just take it for granted as, as a thus saith the Lord. You go home and study it. You look, the Bereans, they said they went to study to see if these things were of the Lord that Paul and Silas spoke or were they, they were not. And uh, last week, I had a number of people that at least three different ones actually turned out to be four they were concerned about some things that were being taught and how the word may have not been as honored as it should have been. And uh, there's some, one couple said they sensed it was a sloppy grace with little emphasis on repentance. And I was thinking about that this week, and the Lord gave me a dream, and I, and I shared this Friday night, where I was riding on a bicycle, and uh, on the left side of the bike was written, The Goodness of God. Then on the other, or yeah, the left side. And on the right side was the severity of God. How many of you know there is the goodness and the severity of God? And the severity, if you look it up, it means abruptness. There are times when God is rather abrupt. He's not that polite. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but there are sometimes God just demands his way. He's going to demand his way in this hour. He's the only way... He's the only way there is. And it's all going to be summed up in him. But anyway, if you lean too far toward the goodness, you know what's going to happen? 
you fall over. Then, then you'll be all this lovey-dovey stuff without the judgment and without the, the other side. But if you're all judgment, who wants to hang around you? There's no goodness, no love. I just read we're the beloved. So you want to ride down the middle. You want to stay the course. But you know, the American feel-good gospel is not the gospel we find in the Word of God. Do you know that one of the signs of, of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Now, I know Acts, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men would, you know, dream dreams and visions and all these things. Your old men, men servants, maid servants. But also in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23, he says, I will pour out my spirit and make my words known to you. So one of the signs that we're living at a time of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God is going to come alive. How many of you have found that in your own study, your own prayer? It's like, it's like you would almost just have to close it because you open the Word, revelation will come. It's just, it's coming alive. It's part of the time we're living. But the reason may be, um, you know, that uh, there are those today still that do not honor God's word is because they've lost the fear of the Lord. They've lost the terror of the Lord. Did you know, let me just read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, then I'm going to pray and I'm going to get into this. It says, therefore knowing, therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade others. In other words, we convince them, we win them over because we know how awesome our God is. And I believe that there's a new fear of the Lord coming back to the land. I've been hearing that for many, many years, but now it has come. So, Lord, help us deliver this word. Thank you that you're in our midst, and we're going to get to be a part of a glorious hour unlike any other in all of church history. Lord, we want to be like these in the book of Jude, ready to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And Lord, we thank you we're not going to back off, back down. We're going to stand. And Lord, we thank you that we're made for the moment. How many of you know or you're made for these moments? If you weren't made for this moment, you'd have been bored 100 years ago or so. But there were challenges 100 years ago. Now let me read this. You young guys... You need to read A.W. Tozer. You need to read him. That, I was encouraged to read him. Carla, I'm sure you read A.W. Tozer. He was one of those men that were, you know, those theological, like a foundational stone for the, the church in the last generation. But you need to hear what he has to say. And he wrote a book called Paths to Power. And here's what he said. Now, this was years ago. But it fits today. To any casual observer of the religious, religious scene today, two things will at once become evident. First, that there is very, a very little sense of sin among the unsaved. And that's true. I've seen that just recently. There's no sense of sin. They don't even know. And then two, that the average professed Christian lives a life so worldly and careless that it is difficult to distinguish him from the unconverted. 
the power that brings conviction to the sinner and enables the Christian to overcome in daily living is being hindered. And then he goes on and explains that right after World War, uh, the First World War, there was this new theology. It wasn't a theology, it was a false doctrine, a doctrine of demons. It was called anti-Tomanianism, something like that. But anyway, what it did, it, it, it emphasized the positive aspect of the gospel, and it presented Jesus as a big lovey-dovey Jesus. And it ignored the other side. It had nothing to do with the one that walks in and overturns the money cha- changers, you know. It just, he's got to be loved. If you had anything that departed from that message of love, You were considered the negative gospel. Do you know that was implanted in our nation? It was a doctrine of a demon. And so it's been bearing fruit now for a long time. He said, thousands sought help who had no desire to leave all and follow Jesus as Lord. They just wanted the benefits of salvation. Come and get it. Come and get him and you won't go to hell. But they never left behind the world that they were called to forsake. And he goes on and explains this more and more. I I was reading and I thought what came to my mind was there was an emergence of the preaching of the cross without the canceling out. I mean, there was the canceling out the penalty without possessing the power to change the person's life. It's over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It speaks about the perilous times will come And remember, it says men will be lovers of themselves, but it also says that there will be those who will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. What does that mean? That means that they will claim the benefits of salvation, and they'll have a form. It'll look all really good, but the evidence in their life, the fruit is they've never really forsaken the world. They wanted the name, but they didn't want to really deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And the Lord's going to have to build a bridge. No, actually, he's going to tear the bridge down. He's going to divide so that this gospel can be preached again in America. I'm kind of accepting this challenge because these guys in Uganda, this past Friday we had a pastor's conference in Uganda, and uh, I think Carla shared this with you, how... There was going to be some Anglican pastors there from the church in Uganda, and they had registered. And they came because they said they wanted the real gospel, the true gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to return to the Anglican churches in Uganda. And I, I thought, wow, Lord, they're coming to the conference I'm teaching at. You know, it's quite an awesome responsibility. This is what I thought. I thought, Lord... There's a lot of, you know, maybe we could dig up A.W. Tozer. You know, some of these guys, and the Lord just kind of impressed upon me, no, they're dead. You're alive on the earth. So be who you've been called to be. Now I want you to look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to use a number of scriptures. I think you'll get some of them up. But uh, follow, say, I'm going to follow the word. We honor the word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. When I hear people say, you know, you, hey, where's that in the Word? And they take it lightly that, you know, you don't really have to, you know, we want all 
everything but the word, I, I realize there's something missing major in that movement or that, that person. Obviously, they don't have the fear of the Lord. I'll talk about that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means the past has passed away. The present, you're walking in the power of, of a gospel that can change every aspect of your life and the future. You have a different future from what you had before you came to Christ, right? Okay. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that Christ, or God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ. Say, I am an ambassador for Christ. Did you know that's part of your calling? You're representing him. Even as Jesus Christ is in the world, so you and I are to be. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21 is very important. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, just to review a few of those scriptures, his love in verse 14, we're compelled by the love of Christ. The love of God is the strongest force on the earth. And it compels us. Compel means to motivate, control. It means our actions and our attitudes. Our actions and our attitudes are come under the compulsion of the love of God. Verse 15 speaks about how we know no longer, you know, the Lord after the flesh. And, uh, and so, therefore, we know him as the resurrected one. So, therefore, we're not to know one another the way we used to be. There should be no resemblance. Because we're to know one now the person, they are in Christ, and they're a new person. Old things have passed away. And then uh, verse 16 and verse 17, there's a lot of good things. Uh, actually, verse 15 is really good. This is, this is the Christian life. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That is Christianity 101. And then verse 21, for he made him to knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Genuine Christianity has an, a specific understanding in some different areas. Number one, our view of God. How do we view God? Holy. Holy. Oh, I'm so glad we sang those songs about holiness this morning. Holy, holy. I don't know if they changed in midstream, but I, we were talking in the green room and before as we were praying. This morning I heard holy, holy, holy on the radio. And I just, I could picture myself, man, I wanted to sing that song again. You know what I mean? I wanted that song because it means something to me. It means something to God. You know, these deep theological songs we used to sing. You know, today there's 
you know, they're good. I'm sure that the Lord is honored. But there's something about those songs that were grounded in the truth of God's word. Because I never forgot some of those things. If you don't sing them, how are you going to remember them? So anyway, they started singing about God's holiness. And he's holy. Now, how do we look at man? He's a sinner, unholy, unrighteous, in need of a Savior. Jesus even said to those who knew him, he said, in Luke, he said, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He called them evil. In other words, he was saying, you can do some good things. Bad people do good things all the time. You can give good gifts to your children. But if you had a change of your life, a change in your heart. So we know that man is a sinner. And then we know that man's problem is sin. And the problem is if you do not repent, the wages of sin is death. How many of you know that? Hadn't changed. Is that still in the Bible? The wages of sin of a nation, of an individual is death. The penalty is death, period. But thank God the gift of God. If you receive the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And then there's God's solution, and that's the shed blood of Jesus. So, you know, there, I, I want to look at, okay, here's my topic today. Sin. Because I believe much of the church has lost the concept of sin. That's why the world can do what they do, and there's no I know they're sinners. That has something to do with it, obviously. But if we were the church, wouldn't they have some kind of conviction that, hey, this is not right. This is not a man or a woman's right. This is sin. So maybe if we raise the standard, because if I understand when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises a standard. So I want to talk about sin. It's something we all have in common in all the nations of the earth. It's one thing, we're all, in one way, we're all alike. But first of all, the definition of sin, what does it mean? To miss the mark. Now, most of us know that. It means it's like the bow and arrow, you know, and um, I have to tell you one story, just make it a little bit lighter in here. I feel like you guys are too serious. When I was a little kid, we used to shoot bow and arrows, and it was my turn to hold the target. Hey, I was brought up in Louisiana. They didn't teach us stuff like that. Tony, I'm holding the target. And it was taking forever. Huh? Yes, it's a miracle because I used to, we used to go under the sewage, you know, the drains in the city. And we did stuff. Oh, please don't let our children do them, Lord. Please. Don't, Don't do what I did. But anyway, I'm holding the target, and the guy taking forever to shoot, so I look around. When are you going to shoot? Well, he shot, and he hit me right here in blood, you know. Anyway, he missed the target. No, actually, he hit the target. But you know, that's what sin is. You miss the target. How many of you have missed the target? We've missed the mark, and we've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's it. Now, the Bible says and teaches it's guilt. There's the guilt of sin. There's pollution. It's an inward pollution. It's an intrinsic moral corruption. 
The Bible says all of our righteousness, everything we think we do that's, boy, this is really grand in the sight of God is as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. We want to make ourselves better, self-improvement, dress better, look better, smell better. It, it might look for people. It's not before God. You can't, there's no, Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, none who seek after God. They've all turned aside, no, not one who does good. The way of peace they've not known. And then in verse 19 of Romans 3, all the world is guilty before God. Do you know why people feel guilty today all over the earth? Because they're guilty. In Uganda, you're guilty. That's why you feel guilt. In India, you're guilty. You feel guilt. We're all guilty before God. Now, there are types of sin. There's unbelief. We know that one well. John 16, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in Me. That's part of it. Absolutely. But it's also rebellion, resistance to his will. Christianity is surrendering to the will of God. It's not about receiving him and gaining your entrance or your your ticket to heaven, but you maintaining your own will in this life. You have to give up your will. And right now there's a battle going on all over the earth. Will it be the will of God or the, the will of man? Whatever, nations, school boards are going to have to determine, will we allow the will of God to be done in our district? Are we going to follow the will of man? You're going to have to make a choice in this hour. There's a great battle. And ultimately, there's going to be one victor. So it would be better to line up on the one who will be the victor. But then there's sins of commission. You know the Ten Commandments. Now, this is how God set things up. I don't know his name, Dana Coverstone. She surely gave me, just to encourage me yesterday, but it was actually confirmation. He had this incredible dream where he walked into a church and the pastor up at the front, he had his collar and all, you know. And he got up and he said, the Ten Commandments are no longer in principle or practice for today, something like that. Yeah. And then later on in his dream, you should look it up online on, on YouTube. That pastor ripped off, took off. He was wearing a mask. He took off his mask, and he was a demon. Anyway, it was a powerful dream, and I've got to go back, and it was really detailed. I thought, God, how could you give this kind of detail? Because it went on and on and on. It was about this subject and how it's invaded the church in America. And there are many that are wearing masks in the pulpit and in the pews. They're wearing the mask. And God wants to come and rip them off. You know, the Ten Commandments are still for today. And Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it, but he came to give a little extra unk to it. You know, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look even at a woman with your eyes and you lust, you commit in your heart. You've already committed adultery. In your heart, he didn't come to do it away. He came to give it a little extra understanding. Then there's sins of omission. What is that? To he that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And also we know that whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever you do that is not built on faith, that you've heard from God and you're acting out of obedience... 
is sin. How much of that is going on? And then there's secret sins. Psalm 90, verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Over in Psalm 19, the psalmist said, keep me from secret faults. He goes into a different area. He's presumption, sins of presumption. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I will be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. The sins of presumption, that we presume it's God, it was us, or it was somebody else. Now, look over in Psalm 51. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little personal. Psalm 51. Now, there are three, three words they're right off the bat, but there are a number of places. There's, you know, he said in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Blot out my transgression. He's thoroughly cleansed me of my iniquity and my sin. Transgression is rebellion against the authority of God. Sin, in this context, is Rebellion against the person of God. You remember David said, against thee and thee only, you and you only have I sinned. Ultimately, we've sinned against him. And inequity is the wickedness, the guilt, and the punishment that will follow. And then we know there's the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. There are many different aspects, but it all points to the fact sin. Now, here's some, some things in the Bible about sin. Number one, it's universal in nature. For all of sin, we already said that. Galatians 3, 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The word confined means imprisoned, hemmed in, enclosed, no way out. And that's where the world is today. They're hemmed in in sin and they can't find a way out. Well, there's only one way out. And it's the one who is the way. The one who is the truth. You have to acknowledge that where you've been living was not the truth. And turn to the one who is the truth. And find the way. And here you'll find life. You'll find eternal life. But so there's the confined and then the promise is that which is given. Then sin in the Bible is inherited and part of our nature. But it's more than that. Now this is where I want to tell you something. I cannot believe, but it is growing like a cancer. I remember there was a teacher that came through Moravian Falls five, six years, seven, I don't know how many years now. Man, today, I don't even know where September went. Somebody stole September. Now we're in, it's almost, October will be almost over. Who is stealing the months? It's, I don't know, they're flying the calendar. You keep, you might just... Just make that your job. Just turn, because it's like flying by. Anybody else feel that way? The whole, man, it's like accelerated time. Anyway, um, David, in that scripture, you know, he said, In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And I remember this teacher And he has a large following. He was saying, now David was not speaking about his sin. He was talking about his mother's sin because his mother had him out of wedlock. 
And I listened to that, and something in my spirit said, that's, huh? So anyway, you know what it was? It was a doctrine of demons. That if you could only, and what it is, it's this, t- this identity. If you just knew who you were in your original state, you were holy. You were perfect and righteous. In other words, it leaves out the cross. There's no need for the cross. You just got to have your identity correct. Know who you were in your original state. That's what was being taught. Can I tell you, the buyers are many. There are great movements that believe that. That if you just know who you were originally, well, you study this out a little bit closer in Psalm 51. And my, my thing would be, why would David say what he said all through that chapter? He said, have mercy upon me. He didn't say, have mercy upon my mom. He said, have mercy upon me. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Say, my iniquity. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned. I'm, and, and I'm blameless when you judge. Be, are you blameless? Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in sin. My mother conceived me. Yeah, it's part of it. But he says, purge me, and I shall be clean. Wash me. I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. And on and on, and you can read it on and on. Restore to me the joy of salvation. In other words, David didn't blame his mom. David blamed himself. But it is, it's part of our sin nature. And it's something that has to be dealt with. And I'm telling you, the Lord did something to deal with it. Now, the next thing, I'm going to carry on. Everybody still with me? Does anybody, did anybody else run across this particular doctrine anywhere? Am I the only one? Some of you have. I'm, it's rampant. You just don't recognize it. It's like they're wearing a mask. And the word sounds so wonderful. Wow, this is glorious. Makes me feel so good. Without repentance. How are you going to be good without repentance? Well, the American gospel will make you feel really good if you hang around long enough. Now, number three, the undeniable, inescapable penalty. There's a penalty for not only just the nature of sin, but are committing sins. Okay, here you go. Now, this is where I'm going to plow into something. Lord, help me, Jesus. My mom told me there'd be days like this. and You better be helping. And he's helped me all along. Man, I'm, I can't believe I get to preach the gospel. That's the way I feel. I feel like, God, this is incredible. This is the best job on the planet. You want to be a president? Have at it. You want to be a school board chief? Have at it. You all this stuff. Man, a preacher of the gospel. No, being a son of God is the best job in the world, really. It's the best position. But look at this in Romans chapter 6. Now, we know in verse 1. Now, we're going to talk about individual sin. I know there's a sin nature. We've all were born with a sin nature. Okay, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does it say? May it never be. Certainly not. How? 
Here's a great question for the hour. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? What a great question. Who thought of that question? And he goes on, do you not know? Do you not know? Hey, this faith that was forever delivered to the saints, do you not know? For as many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, you were buried with him, your old nature, and you were risen to newness. And anyway, all, there's so much there. But look over in verse 16. I can't read it all. It'd take forever. Do you not know? Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked. Oh, this is great verse. But God be thanked that though you were, say, I was. You could say I were, but that wouldn't be proper English. But anyway, I was a slave of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. You had a heart transformation. Something happened to your heart. That form of doctrine, that's another thing, that movement. And they're all over. They don't like the word doctrine. They think that's a religious term. No, it's a Bible term. You know what it means? It means teaching. A disciple of Jesus is one who's following his teachings. They know they follow him, but they also follow the teachings. He said, whatever I've commanded you, you teach them. Whatever it is I've commanded. So let's go on. We'd run down so many trails. Lord, help me to stay on the path like on that bicycle in that dream. Don't let me fall over one side or the other. He says, okay, that doctrine to which you were delivered... And having been set free from sin, say set free, you become a slave of what? Righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms so you'll understand. That's what he says. Because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things lead to your death. The wages of sin is death. But now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves, wait a minute. Either you're a slave of God or you're a slave of yourself or the devil. One or the other. I I don't know. How can you be a by vocational slave doesn't happen but now having been set free from sin having become a slave to God now your fruit how will you know them one time they asked Jesus how will you know them you'll know them by their fruit now you have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life and then he just emphasizes for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord Now, the next thing about sin, it is a disease of the human heart. It's a disease we're all plagued with. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's becoming known how desperately wicked the heart of man really is in this hour. I mean, if you know that, it's becoming known. Isaiah 44, 20, a deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? 
Now, think about this. People are living today believing lies, but they can't recognize the lies. Why? Because their heart is deceived. Not only deceived, their heart is deceitful. And there are many living by those lies. You know, they're well-intentioned in, people. They, they spew their lies. Their lies will not deliver you. It's only the truth that will deliver you. But the problem is the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Everyone on the earth has the disease of sin. You know, we saw where in Uganda there's a reemergence of Ebola. We've been praying, and the president has taken a stand. They wanted some outside forces called the WHO, whoever the WHO is, came to him and said, you lock your country down. He said, no, no, because he knows what that would mean. He knew, he knows This time we know a little bit more. And anyway, they're still having to deal with Ebola. And I pray God just rises up and a mighty wind will blow Ebola out of Uganda in the name of Jesus. Because it's a pretty serious thing. You don't want it, but you can contain it. There's ways to contain it and they've done a good job. But the worst condition known to man, the worst disease is called sin. It's not Ebola. It's not COVID. It's sin. It's sin that affects the human heart. And then the next thing, it affects generations and societies. Remember, he talks about visiting the sins of the the fathers to the third and fourth generation. That's why we have to teach our children the ways of the Lord when they're young so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And I shared on Friday night Michael, this is pretty awesome. When we were in West Virginia, one of the young guys in our youth group, now this was after we left, but he went off into the homosexual lifestyle. His mother began to pray. For 22 years, she prayed for her son's deliverance. She called me about three weeks ago. She said, David, I have some good news for you. Do you remember so-and-so, her son? He is free. He's given his life to Jesus. And God has set him free after 22 years. Thank God for the foundation that they gave him and the word, but the prayer they wouldn't give up on. And, um, but, you know, I believe that's true. Not only is there unrighteousness passed down, but if you live righteously, you're going to have a righteous effect on the generations that come after you. There's something, part of your inheritance will be an inheritance of righteousness among your sons and your grandsons and great, and on and on. Now, the next thing is our choice. Sin is our choice and our responsibility. Remember, I I won't read it to save on time, but in James chapter 1, he says, when sin, you know, is accomplished, you know, it brings forth death, you know, you're drawn away uh, by your own enticements, you're enticed by sin, let no one blame God. God does not tempt anyone with evil, but it's you. Basically, the thing is that we must take responsibility for ourselves. We can't blame others. We can't blame our circumstances. We can't blame some previous generation. Now, I know there's, you know, some influence there, as we said, but ultimately, David said, no, it's against you and you only. I have sinned. We can't blame Satan. And we definitely can't blame God. That's what James says. Here's what Tozer went on to say this. He said, the modern gospel 
No one was supposed to feel any more personal guilt. After World War I, I guess, they came in with this feel-good Christianity to corrupt the American church. It was a doctrine of demons, exactly what it says. No one is supposed to feel guilt. The devil did it. Blame the devil. Don't blame the sinner. He said the devil became the universal scapegoat to take the blame for every bit of human devilry from Adam to the present day. And that we are just lovable sinners. We're really not that bad. You just were led astray by the devil or you just don't know your original identity. Now, I'm hitting that hard because you don't know them, but I know them and they live very close to us. Just know your original identity. I do know my original identity. I was bound in sin. I needed a Savior from day one. And he became my Savior. He goes on. He says, under that kind of teaching, there can be no self-condemnation. Oh, no, don't feel condemned. He said, now no Bible student will underestimate the sinister work of Satan. But to make him responsible for our sins is to practice deadly deception upon ourselves. The guilt lies in the acts of sin. For example, you know, sloppy grace, the perverted, it destroys our sense of personal responsibility for our moral conduct. You know, we're responsible for the things we do. We're responsible before God. I'm going to show you. But this perverted grace robs us. And boy, he wrote so much. I can't, but he said it's all sin of its fright. It takes away the frightfulness of sin. Like, well, the wages of sin can't really be death because I have grace. I can continue in sin. That's what grace is, right? And then just do away with the word. We don't need the word. Why do you need the word? You need my word. I'll make you feel good. And when you feel good, you will go into hell deceived, believing that you were saved. And I'm telling you, the apostasy has already taken place. There's more to come, but the apostasy has happened in America. It's much more broader than you and I would ever imagine. He goes on, our excusing sin or our seeking some theological justification for it, instead of treating it as God treats it, as an affront to heaven, is a leading a terrible effect. Then he goes, he ends it by saying, tender tear-stained preaching on this subject must be heard again before revival can come. And I would just say amen. Now, another thing about sin, it must be confessed and forsaken. Uh-oh. Forsaken. I remember hearing, was it um, William Booth? He said one of the things of the last days would be there would be, he said a lot of things. Religion without the Holy Spirit, politics without God, Christianity without Christ. But he also said there would be preached forgiveness without repentance. That it would be one of the, one of the things, the enemy, of how he would get in and he would bring about the great apostasy. But sin must be confessed and forsaken. Now, confession, we know, it means agreeing with God, right? Right? You don't disagree, God, this is not really sin, because that's what they said down the street. Everybody's doing it. Can't you see it? It's not sin. Listen, it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. Okay, God, how do you see this before me? And then you agree. Okay, God, obviously, 
to me. I'm not worried about anybody else. I'm worried. Listen, this is sin. And I acknowledge it before you. And I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me. And then I forsake it. Did Jesus tell the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? And they wanted to stone her, remember? He's writing in the sand. He didn't just give the woman a free pass. Okay, go back and do more of your adultery. He said, go and sin no more. Anyway, look over in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not shouting at you. I'm just, I'm just I want this to get out in the airwaves. And, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. There's something you just want to get out. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be, he refused. That's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's some things you admit or you admit into your life. Other things you just simply refuse. You just draw a line and say, no. Now, it's easier if you've said yes to him first. How many of you found that to be the case? It's a little hard to say no until you first said yes. Then he gives you the grace to say no. But Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose. Say chose. Life is, you know what follows your choices? Anybody? Consequences. Follow choices. What after, what's after the choice is the consequence. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Remember the scripture says, if we suffer in the flesh, we will cease from sin. How many of you know there's suffering involved in ceasing from sin? Man, it tears your flesh apart. It does things with your mind. It, it's opposite of what you feel is right. has nothing to do with your feelings. It's what God said. And then it says, he, he, he chose to suffer affliction rather than to enjoy, say enjoy, the passing pleasures of sin. Just because something is enjoyable does not mean it's good. There's a good chance it may be leading to your destruction. God did not call you to enjoy life. He called you to follow him. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's not the world that gives you that. It's him. It's God Almighty. I'm not saying don't enjoy some things in the world. Just don't make them your God. But then he goes on. He says, verse 27, by faith he forsook each. Say forsook. He turned He turned from Egypt. Now, Egypt is representative of the sinful nature, the old bondage, the old ways. He forsook Egypt, and he chose to follow the Lord. He endured even the wrath of the king. He refused. He stayed faithful. And then understand that sin will eventually catch up to you. Where did I get that from? Numbers 32, 20. And uh, there's a strategy God's giving a strategy and instruction for possessing the land. And they had to obey. Say obey. Many believers in America feel like obedience is some option. Along, you know, there's, it's one of the options. Since when did it become an option? 
And in verse 23, here's what it says. It says, but if you do not do so, referring to what he was instructing them to do, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sins will find you out. And I'm telling you, that's what God's doing right now. Your sin eventually is going to be uncovered. It's going to find you out. I've heard of people, you have too, they committed crimes years ago. And then what, 30, 40, 50 years, they reopen the case or whatever. And anyway, they realize they committed the crime. And they're brought to justice. Now, I know in our justice system now in America, it's like the good are imprisoned and the, the, those that are guilty get set free. There's very little justice in America anymore, but there is, is justice in the kingdom of God. And God is a just judge. Man, if I, could, I hope I can remember it. This morning I read, it said, The hand of the Lord will again be made known to his servants what God is doing and his indignation to his enemies. And then it says, And the slain of the Lord will be many. Man, they don't preach that kind of Jesus anymore. The slain of the Lord shall be many. That's God that does not fit with the American gospel. You're going to have to change up there. You're going to have to get things back in order. No, we have to get things back in order. I'm going to wrap this up. Stay with me. Don't lose Okay, let's go on. It's sin that causes, now this is important, nations to rise, and it's sin that brings nations down. Where does that come from? Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts, lifts up a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And when he said any people, he meant any people. And the word reproach means a disgrace. If you choose sin, then you become a disgrace before man and you'll become a disgrace before God. Sin will lift you up. A righteousness lifts you up. Sin will bring you down. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man or a nation sows, that he will also reap. You know, he took, now we know that he took the weight of, and the nature of every individual sin upon himself. So there's only one remedy, and this is where I want to close. Look over in the book of Hosea. This is the last little bit that I want to read, it's, but it's very important, especially in the times in which we're living. Hosea chapter 13, now we know in, in Hosea chapter 6, It's a very familiar scripture. It says, come, let us return to the Lord. Not to the good old days, but let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal. Did you you see that? For he has torn, but he will heal. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Now look over in chapter 13. And beginning with verse 1, it says, When Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. 
When I read that, I thought about that scripture in Isaiah 66 2. It says, but on this one, God says, but on this one I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And I thought, Lord, where is the trembling at your word? Where is it today in America? Can I suggest to you, much of it has been tossed out the window. We no longer tremble. Many places, you can take the word or leave it. You may hear the scriptures and you may not. But there was a day that people trembled when the word of God was preached. And can I just give you a little quick testimony? Those days are coming back. It's called the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The reason we don't persuade men, we don't have the terror of the Lord among us anymore. But anyway, let's go on. When Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended through Baal worship, what happened? He died. Okay? So he was trembling at the word. He was lifted up. But then he began to worship Baal. And he died. The wages of sin is death. And then in verse 2, now they sin more and more. And then we know they made an image for themselves. But look down in verse uh, 4. I want to read this. No, we should read verse 3. It says, therefore they shall be like the morning cloud and like the early dew that passes away, like chaff blown off from a threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. That's what God says. Verse 4, yet I am the Lord your God. And ever since the land of Egypt, ever since. Now, Egypt is a type of sin, a bondage to sin. And you've turned from that. You've forsaken. Ever since the land of Egypt, you, you shall know no God but me. And there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. When they had pasture, they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted, therefore they forgot me. Do you know what the Bible says God will do to the nation that forgets him? You know, he will turn into hell the nation that forgets me. That's what it says. So I will be to them like a lion. Now this is God. This is the lion of Judah. It's not, sadly to say, the same God that is being spoken of in many places in this nation. But God says, I will be like a lion. And I'll be like a leopard by the road. I will lurk. And I will meet them like a bear deprived of their cubs. Could you imagine a bear deprived of her cubs? What, that bear, you don't want to hang around that bear. I will tear open their rib cage, And there I will devour them like a lion. The wild beasts shall tear them. Now, so he gets, makes it personal. Oh, Israel. And I believe he's saying, oh, America, you are do- you're destroyed. In other words, you're being destroyed. How many of you know that's happening before our eyes? On a daily basis, 100 miles per hour, nonstop destruction. Everything the man in the White House touches turns, it, it is becoming destroyed. Every single thing. Why? Because that's what the thief does. He comes for no other purpose but to steal, but to kill as many as possible when they're not looking and destroy everything that his hand touches. That's the only reason the thief has come. 
So anyway, let's keep reading. He makes it personal. Oh, Israel, you're destroyed. But, say but. Your help is from the election that's coming up. If you just get the right people in office, you're going to be free. No. How many of you notice that's never worked? Now, I'm not saying don't vote. Because when you vote, you're voting before God. It's a testimony before the Lord. God, I believe this is sin and this is right. And I'm making a vote determining that I want you to know I believe that is sin. Or you're going to say, God, I'm choosing this candidate because though you say it's an abomination, I say it's good. And how dare you say anything different? That's what you're doing in the voting booth. Many of you are going to vote your way to hell. I'm telling you that right now. Because what you vote for is what you approve of. And not only are those who do such things that will be condemned, but those that approve of those things. That's the New Testament. I'll show you after if you ask me. I'll show you where it is. It's your approval. Okay, get back. Your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other? I want to ask you, who else can save America right now? Where is there any other? Do you know of any other? Okay, let's go on. That he may save you in all your cities. Where is he? You show me who he is. And your judges to whom you said, give me a king and a prince. God said, I'll give you a king in my anger. Now, that's the whole, you know, that's another, goes all into that. But then he says, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The sorrows of a woman in childhood shall come upon him. He's like an unwise son, for he should not stay long where children are born. But then verse 14, here's what God says. And this is his invitation for America in this hour. He said, I will ransom them. From the power of the grave, the death, I will redeem them from the death. And then he, this is that quote that we know it's over. Oh, death, I will be your plague. Oh, grave, I will be your destruction. And that's leading to that scripture. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. Sin brings forth death, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only redeemer, and he's come to redeem a people that will put their trust in him. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The remedy is acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin, forsaking our sin, repenting. You know, just acknowledge. How can you be forgiven for killing 65 million babies? You just confess it as sin. It's sin. God, we've sinned. We've sinned. This is sin. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. God, Lord, we pray. Lord, don't let us be like those They were delivered out of Egypt, yet afterward they were destroyed for their sin, their unbelief. God, we pray, Lord, I ask you, we ask you, cry out, 
Lord, I preach this the best I know how, but I'm just a man, God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon the land. The sinners don't even know. They have no idea. They mock. They don't even know that there is even the sound of what they're doing is sin. And it's because many in the church have explained away sin, and they've leaned heavily upon grace, which was not just to forgive us, but to give us the power to not do that, which we know was evil in your sight. And we thank you, God, it's this grace which shall be preached again, that brings salvation, that delivers us out of ungodliness and wickedness and evil desires. Lord, you said those who know you shall put to death the deeds of the flesh and live no longer the way they live, but become a new creation. And Lord, we thank you. Your mockery, your golf is not, the gospel is not to be mocked. It is that which changes the human heart. It brings forgiveness of sin and a change of lifestyle so that all the world may see the glory of the Lord. Lord, I just ask you to touch people this morning. Lord, in this room, those that are watching online, Lord, we just, uh, we just thank you. Let it bear fruit. I want our guys to come forward. We're going to be around the altar this morning. If you need to get right with God, if, you, if there's sin in your life and you want to repent of that sin, confessing it, you know it's an it's a individual, personal decision. But at the same time, there comes time. You need prayer. You need confess your sins one to another at times. And God brings forgiveness. He breaks the yokes. Sometimes there's, you need that agreement where two or more agree. As touching anything, it shall be done. And, you know, there was a time in America that people would get out of the aisle, they would crawl to the altars to get right with God. If that doesn't happen in America, I'm telling you, our days are numbered. Very few days remain. But if there's a move of repentance and a move of holiness from the pulpits of America, God is going to shock the world with what He's going to do. There's no Savior like our Savior. There's no one mighty like our God. He alone can save. There is no Savior besides Him. I want you to stand. If you want forgiveness, you want to just come, confess, get right before God. Hey, where's our guys, our altar team? You just come. You can kneel at the altar. But if you'd like someone to pray with you, grab hold. You guys watching online, this is the day of salvation. I want to pray with you right now to receive Jesus. You know, I I don't know when it's going to be the last time. You guys don't know this, but years ago, I told the Lord, Lord, every time I preach, let it be as if it's the last time I'll ever stand before preaching the gospel. Secondly, as if it's the last time someone will ever hear the gospel. And third, as if it's your voice that's being heard and not my own. So I'm going to stay to my commitment to the Lord because this may be your last time to hear And maybe you're in this room and you've played religion. I pray God will come rip that mask off. Take it off. Man, religion's not going to get you anywhere. 
If you bought that deceptive doctrine of demon that says you can live like you want to live and still go to heaven, today's the day to make right, get your life right with God. To rip it off, say, God, I don't want anything to do with that corrupted, perverted grace. There is a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. And He's going to come breathe on it, I'm telling you. He's coming for it because it's led many people into the gates of hell. And he's, he, I think he's just going to take vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So anyway, I want to pray with you. Let's just say, dear God, I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus. He is the Son of the living God. He's the Son of man and he's the Son of God. I confess my sin before you. I choose to forsake and turn from sin and I turn towards you and I make you Lord of my life. And I thank you, you will help me to do that. It's your grace that I lean upon. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to forgive me. I thank you that the shed blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I thank you for Calvary. And I thank you for the resurrection. It changes everything. Everything is changed because Christ rose from the dead. And now I confess you with my mouth. I believe in you in my heart. And as I've called upon you, The promise is, I shall be saved. And I receive by faith this salvation, this gift of your son that was offered to me. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit. Just pray, everybody, catch up now. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fresh and filling, Lord. Fresh and filling. Oh, God, just say, here am I. Use me. Here am I. Send me. Just say, God, to every, every degree that that Americanized false gospel has in any way corrupted me, I pull it out of my mind right now. And I cast it to the ground. It will have no more effect on my life or my thinking, my attitude. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because He became my sin. And I thank you, God, for full salvation. I thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus' dead body from the grave lives in me. And I thank you, the greater works I'm going to be a part of because he went to the Father. And I thank you, Lord. It's not about me. It's all about you and your son, Jesus. Now, just say, here I am, Jesus. Make your name famous through me. Receive the reward of your suffering through me. Hallelujah. And I just pray for the power of God to heal in this place. If you're sick, if you're facing some kind of difficulty, disease, or 
just raise your hands. I need healing. Okay, Lord, we pray for the power of God right now. The power of healing. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, we thank you. Touch people. We rebuke every spirit of infirmity, every disease, every demonic plot plan. We break it off now in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for the power of heaven, the power of the blood of Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Now come receive prayer. God bless you guys. We love you. Thanks for being here this morning at the gathering. Hallelujah. Come see us again.